Hello and welcome to the Bliss Bean Show. I'm your host, Patrice, and on this podcast, we talk about how to design intentional days, create meaningful work, and get more out of life. Welcome back to the show. Today, I am talking to Amy Gidden. Amy is the co-founder and CEO of Daily Aloha, and if that sounds familiar to you, it's because I've partnered with them in the past. Daily Aloha is this really cool app where you basically answer a daily prompt and you contribute to a wall of responses from people all around the world. So these prompts can be anything like the most meaningful gift I ever received was blank or I feel a sense of purpose when blank. So it's all very positive, very on brand with the Bliss Bean. So today we're going to talk about her story with starting this company, how to use social media in a healthy way, and how to deal with loneliness, especially at this time. So thank you so much, Amy, for being here with us today, here on Zoom. I am super excited. I'm so excited that we connected. Yes, Yes. we are on brand with each other. Yeah, we're a perfect match. Um, So first of all, I know that you started out in your career as an executive and management consultant. So can you tell us more about how the idea for Daily Aloha came about and how you made that jump? Absolutely. It was quite a jump, let me tell you. (laughs) And I feel like I'm still leaping every single day. But yeah, I started my career in management consulting with a big like global consulting firm. And then after that, I went into financial services. I worked for American Express, another big corporate global firm. And I have to say, I'm really grateful for those years because I really learned so much about being in an office, working with a lot of other people. I learned a lot about myself. I learned how to be a leader. So I have nothing but gratitude, you know, for those years of training. And then throughout my career, I mostly focused on consulting and financial services and also women's leadership. Once I had achieved a pretty senior level um, in my own career, it was really important for me to help up, the, help out the younger women coming up behind me in corporate settings because it's not always so easy. Mm-hmm. So I went to work um, in leadership and working with other women to help equip them to kind of step into their leadership and also to help the organizations that they worked for. Um, create environments that were more friendly to women's advancement. So I was doing all that work. It was very rewarding. And then something happened. <laughs> da, 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 da. Dun, dun. Yeah. You know, I honestly, I never imagined that I would be an entrepreneur. I never had like that desire, that drive to have my own business. Uh, startups were for those other people that had a bigger appetite for risk but I had an idea and the idea felt like a calling. I mean, not to sound too woo woo about it, but it felt like I was being called to do this work. So, so here I am and I can tell you about, you know, what struck me on the head and how that happened because that's what it felt like. Um, My story really goes back to the last presidential election in 2016 so, you know, during that fall, you know, I live in the suburbs of New York and I was commuting to my work in uh, Midtown Manhattan. So I was commuting in and out of a major subway hub called Union Square in New York City. And it, it was the aftermath of the election. And, you know, I had seen my share of elections and, you know, campaigning and politics are what they are. Um, they certainly exposed the way in which we're all different from one another and hold different uh, beliefs. 
But 2016 was a, an election, you know, like no other uh, up until that time that I had experienced. And all this division and polarization had happened. And the dehumanization that came with that, like the us versus them and the othering that happened. And that just goes so counter to my personal belief system and the values that I hold the dearest. You know, I believe that everyone belongs and the way to belong is for everyone to feel seen and heard and valued for whoever they are and whatever they are. So that situation in the aftermath of the election just challenged everything that I really believe in. And I was feeling um, so heavy hearted with that, really heavy. And even the people in my world that tended to believe what I believe politically, I didn't like the way they were othering the other side, right? There was enough of that to go around. So feeling this weight, and I had this experience that was like a lightning bolt um, in, the, in the subway station in Union Square where I was commuting every day. This very simple post-it note project started blossoming across the walls of the subway station. And because I was in and out of that subway two times every day, you know, I saw it advance from this little patch of post-it notes to what ultimately was 50,000 post-it notes. Wow. I mean, you can see my office a little bit. It would have wrapped around probably a dozen times. It was like farther than the eye could see. Mm -hmm. And not only was I captivated by the visual impact of this collective project, but I started witnessing how all these passersby interacted with the experience and how they were transformed by the simple act of participation. You know, what I saw was that people would you know, kind of catch a glimpse of this colorful experience out of the corner of their eye and feel like this magnetic attraction to, to participate. And I don't know if you know New Yorkers, but they don't stop for anything, especially when they're running for the subway. But they did. They wanted to stop. So they would look around. They'd see a stack of Post-it notes. They'd find a color that they wanted to, to write on. And then they'd really pause just for like a moment of reflection. Like, what is it that I feel in this moment and that I want to contribute to this collective experience? And they would write out their note. They would stick it on the wall. Of course, they would take a picture and share that out. You know, and what really delighted me further is that they would often take a step back and take another picture with their post-it note in the center of a big expansive notes, which sort of felt like they were saying like, here I am and here we are, and here I am part of something bigger than myself. And then off they would go. So I saw this day after day and I felt like this is an antidote. This is a cure for something that's going on right now. So I started, you know, researching other large participatory art and story sharing projects that sort of united anonymous strangers in this moment of gathering and togetherness where people could contribute and take in the larger whole. Um, and when I started doing all this research, I found a lot of examples and I was able to understand like, what is it about these things that is the secret sauce? 
that creates that feeling of uplift and togetherness. And when I figured that out, it also became really clear that it was quite the opposite of what social media was serving to us as our, you know, connection platform of the moment. So I was like, okay, here's something that works on steady sidewalks. That's pretty much the opposite of what we have digitally. So can I bottle up this magic into a new kind of digital platform that makes me feel the way I feel right now when I, when I witness this thing? And one night, I couldn't sleep. The, the, and I just, I was up all night. The whole idea just poured out of me onto a piece of paper. I quit my job and started doing this. Wow. So one of the questions someone asked was, how do you know that you are on the right path? And I feel like not being able to sleep because of your idea or just having that idea come so suddenly is a pretty good sign, right? I love that question. Um, Yeah, you know, there was something that I felt in my body, you know, in that moment. I don't want to use the word obsessed, but maybe a little obsessed with my vision. But I think what's important to share with your um, with your folks is that there are so many right paths. I think we, and especially women, put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Is this my path? Is this the one right thing? You know, my career, and it spans decades now, consists of lots of paths and foot trails through the mountains and highways. And, you know, it's with the benefit of of perspective, I can see how all those different pathways have led me to where I am now. But, you know, every decision what felt right in the moment. And I made those different decisions for very different reasons. You know, sometimes it was financial. And that's legit. You know, like we got to take care of ourselves. Um, I'm a single mom. I have three kids to take care of. They're, they're gr- more grown now, but for a while. So to make a decision to have a stable income is completely legit right? I've made other decisions because I stood to learn something that was really important to me. And maybe it wasn't a job with a lot of status or visibility or even pay, but I was growing in a way that I felt enriched me personally. And then I've taken other roles that came with status and positional power and influence. And that felt great and right at the time. So Um, there's lots of right paths. There's not one. They might all lead somewhere or they might not. You know, one thing that I love from um, Sheryl Sandberg's book, the Lean In book that you might know, you know, she talks about not climbing a career ladder, but careers as jungle gyms. Do you remember that? Yeah, I love that, right? It's very empowering. There's not just like one rung and the next rung. Right. So it's a great question. And I guess I'd like to just give us all permission to feel like we can keep changing our mind and what's right in the moment may not be right in the next moment. But I guess, you know, I would also like to share that in that moment, I mean, I think it really helps to get clear on what you're if you have a decision to make about the path that you're on to just get quiet with what matters to you. You know, think about finances, think about personal growth, think about, you know, what's going to advance you in in status and influence if that's what you care about. 
and think about how your career choices fit into the, the broader priorities of your life. And so just get clear on what matters um, so that when you're faced with options, you can be rooted in what you've already determined matters most and not get swayed by what someone else thinks is best for you. Yeah, I really love that part of her book because she was talking about how like if you're in a career, the next step isn't necessarily to get promoted in that same career or that same company. Wherever you are, you're learning skills and you can probably apply those to climb to a lot of different parts of the jungle gym. Uh, I was also curious, you were talking about doing research on different sorts of public art projects that have been done. And the one that I immediately thought of and that I really enjoyed is the Humans of New York project where the photographer would go around New York. Somehow all of these public art projects seem to take place in New York, but he would go around and take photos of people and then have a conversation with them and then share a small snippet of that conversation. And I thought that project was also really eye-opening because like you said, we're so polarized, so we don't often take the time to look at other people's perspectives. But when we do, we realize that we're all actually really similar and that we're all going through difficult things in our lives. So what other projects stuck out to you from that research? Um, Yeah, I would love to share some, but let me comment on that one because I am with you. I am smitten by that project. I think, I think the guy's name is Brandon Stanton, if I'm correct. And, and he started in New York, but then he has traveled all over the world. And, um, I support him actually on Patreon because I think his work needs to be in the world. And I think what's really beautiful about his project, and maybe this is what speaks to you too, is that he takes a photograph, a really intimate photograph of a person in their sort of natural surroundings. They're not posed, they're not staged, they're not backlit, right? They're just like gritty and real. And he has a conversation with that person um, that reveals their vulnerability and their humanity. And when you read these stories, often you may not, you know, agree with the point of view that they're talking about, but Brandon does such a masterful job at taking a peek inside their life experience that even if you don't agree, you understand the set of circumstances that might have led them where they are. And that is what empathy is all about, right? It's not always... If I were you, I would feel this way, which is a nice thought process, but it's more about I can imagine what it's actually like to be you based on what your life experiences have been. And I think that that is the beauty in his work. And I have such deep appreciation for the visual and you know written storytelling that he does that I think really humanizes his subjects. Um, so you, you obviously have struck a, a chord with me. I, I love, you know, this work and I think I love any projects that give us a chance to reveal our humanness in a vulnerable and authentic way, because when we can do that as individuals, and then we see the collective whole of that, we realize we're not alone and we are able to find the through line of humanity across lots of different kinds of people. So to give you a couple you know, other examples, um, there's one that I love that is also super simple, like the Post-it Project, and it's on chalkboards. 
It's called um, the Before I Die Project. Mm, and I think I've seen that. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, they're, um, it's very simple. They're big, you know, chalkboards. They tend to be like in town centers or, you know, very public places. And they're all over the country and they're, they're all over the world. And across the top of the chalkboard, it says, before I die, I want to blank. And then there's just columns of, of, of I want to blank, I want to blank, right? So all these invitations to grab a piece of chalk, approach the chalkboard, and fill in the blank. And that's such an interesting prompt, right? Because when you say to someone, before I die, I want to, you know, you're kind of asking them for their dreams, Mm-hmm. It gets really deep and personal. <laughs> it's It does, it does. So I love that one. And chalkboards are a really interesting like mode of expression because what happens is, and I've seen other chalkboards too with different prompts, the lines get filled up and then people start writing all over and then people start erasing and writing over. So it's almost like, you have this sense of being in the flow of time, right? Because there's things that are there right now. You see traces of things that used to be there. You know when someone's going to write over your answer at some point. So it kind of feels like you get embedded in the fabric of time. I know that sounds a little weird, but there's something about the layering of people writing on top of the same spaces that is pretty cool. Um, And I've seen other chalkboards with different prompts. Um, I have them all at a library. I save a a library of all my inspiration. There's one prompt that if I had the courage, I would blank, which is another sort of deep invitation because it's kind of asking you, what are you afraid of that you want to do anyway, right? Um, yeah, so that's a really, you know, poignant one. And I think that um, no matter what the, the avenue for participation is, whether it's a chalkboard or more of a narrative storytelling or post-it notes, what I have found that all these projects have in common is that they create an environment for people to ex- express themselves very authentically and very vulnerably. And um, the, those conditions are what I've embedded in our app. And those conditions are that they're anonymous, right? They're completely anonymous and they're open to everyone. You don't have to come with your own social network. Like everybody is welcome to participate. And not only that, but there's no status or popularity. So if you choose to participate, you matter just as much as everybody else. Everybody gets one sticky note. Everybody gets one line on the chalkboard, right? So we're all equals in this experience. And then the last element is that there's no judgment. There's not feedback, you know, of any kind. So not only is everybody welcome to participate and everybody matters the same, but um, everyone's contributions are seen and heard equally and without, you know, likes or shit, whatever measure of status happens. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. You know, anonymous, no judgment, no status. Like those seem to be the conditions that allow people to show up and participate really freely and vulnerably even. 
I really like that idea of layering that you mentioned. So it reminded me of there's a bubble tea shop in my city that me and my friends really like to go to, and there's a wall of post-its there. It's very open-ended, like there's no prompts you can draw or write anything or put photos on it, but it is getting so full that people are starting to layer the post-its over one another. And so when you come back, it's like, maybe you'll see the post-it that you wrote months ago, but maybe it got covered up by someone else's post-it, which is also really cool to think about that so many people have passed through the same place and made memories in that same place. Another thing that I really like about these sorts of projects is that they spread so easily. So like, obviously, Brandon's Humans of New York project has just blown up and gone worldwide. So for example, in our school district, we try to do a Humans, humans of Madison version of that project. And one of my jobs as a communications intern for the district was to interview people for that project. And it definitely pushes you out of your comfort zone. But I just think it's so, so cool that his original project has inspired so many spin-offs in different, different types and sizes of communities. And then also I'm thinking of in high school, we had an anonymous compliments page. So people would send in compliments to someone and then the moderators would post them all on one page. I'm just thinking back in school now, like we could have implemented so many of the ideas like the post-it wall project, or just making some sort of a message board in the hallways that people could write on as they walked past. So I think just the really cool thing about these kinds of projects is that there's such a low barrier to entry and it's so easy to recreate that feeling of community wherever you are. I also then wanted to ask what skills were helpful to you in starting Daily Haloha? So someone sent in a question and they asked if you had programming experience or management experience and how that helped you. And were there any areas where you felt like you had to bring in other people to help you kind of bring your vision to life? Oh my gosh, I could have used an army of 25 people with all like what I felt like I was missing. Um, yeah, the answer is I needed a lot of help. Um, and it, it's interesting because, you know, I had so much business experience and leadership experience and not much of it is helpful in a startup right now. I mean, there's some things that are, that are helpful that I'll tell you, but it really felt like starting all over again. So the most important qualities I guess I brought to it is passion, <laughs> vision, and just, you know, a belief that I can figure things out. And I guess it's probably fair to say that my belief in myself that I can figure things out is what I brought from all my experience, right? Like I've seen a lot of problems <laughs> and I've confronted a lot of things and um, I've often not known how to solve them. But over time, I started just believing in myself that there is an answer to every problem. There's always a solution. And if I don't know it, I'll be able to figure it out. So that was sort of the most important quality or skill I would say you know I brought to the project besides my 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 passion and obsession <laughs> with it um, so the skills that I needed right away were definitely the technical skills um, believe it or not I was a computer science and economics major mm -hmm. but it was so long ago that what I learned was not helpful like I'm not a coder. Mm -hmm. 
but I do have an appreciation for technology and I'm not afraid of it, you know? So I, and I, and I, I think like a coder, you know, like breaking things down into pieces and I'm very like linear and logical. So I think that's a good just approach, but I'm not a coder. So yes, I had to bring in developers and I tapped a lot of people's expertise. I think, you know, another important thing I brought to this project is humility. And I think this comes with a little bit of seasoning too. Like I no longer feel that I have to have all the answers. And there's there's such a great sense of relief with that. Mm-hmm. I don't have to have the answers. And with humility, you can ask for advice. You can ask for opinions. And when you do that, it's not saying I'm not enough or I'm not worthy. It's just saying this is, some, this is a thing I don't know. I bring a lot. I know a lot of things. But I don't know this. I need help. So this combination of confidence in myself that I can figure out most problems and humility, kind of knowing what I know and knowing what I don't know and not being afraid to ask for help was like the right combination to get me going. Um, but yes, I def- I brought in development help. I tapped other people with expertise. I tried to talk to a lot of other founders of tech platform-based startups um, and sort of just gathered advisors and supporters along the way. And those are skills that apply to so many different areas, like learning how to ask for help or learning how to be confident in your ability to um, solve any problem. Like that applies to literally everything. It reminds me of this book. I haven't actually read it. I just know the title, but it's Everything is Figure Outable by Marie Forleo. So I haven't read the book, but the title has just really stuck with me because it's something that I personally strongly believe. I think that you don't have to know everything before you start a project. You can just start it and then figure things out along the way. So how long did it take for you to get from coming up with the idea for the Daily Aloha app to actually launching it? Uh, I'm a little embarrassed to share that, but I will. <laughs> so so as I mentioned, like the initial idea came after the election. It was like the very end of 2016. I think I became obsessed with it after doing all this research on participatory art projects and all of that in early 2017. And then, as I mentioned, I, I quit my job, but I, I continued to consult because I, I did need to have an income. So I was kind of working on this as a side hustle uh, while I was doing my day job of consulting, even though you know I had some, some nice flexibility though. And then in 2017, I brought on a co-founder, which was really great because I really like a thought partner. I'm not a solo operator. I don't work. I don't do my best work when I'm all alone all the time. So that was a real catalyst for it, for the advancing the idea and making it seem real because he really believed in the idea. And I think just having one other person believe in it as strongly as I did, like got me over the hump of making it really seem doable. So in 2017, we kind of, we built a prototype, like very inexpensively, like an app prototype, and then um, started showing it around, showing it to all my friends and my family kind of excessively. I think people started like running the other direction when I started. Look at it, look at it, look at it. (laughs) What do you think about this? Exactly. It was like my baby, like enough about the baby. (laughs) Um, 
So, but we got enough positive feedback that I really quit my job and I raised a little money. So I built a whole business plan kind of on spec. I raised a little friends and family money that enabled me to like totally quit my job. And then that's what we did in 2018. And then we, then I hired a development firm in Pakistan and we started building our launchable products and we launched in May of 2019. So it's been 18 months in the market already. Mm-hmm. So it took us a while. So I started in early 2017, launched, you know, mid 2019, but it wasn't my only focus until like midway through 2018. So it, it, it's a great question. I, you know, I, I shouldn't say like I'm a little embarrassed about it because your path is your path, right? Mm-hmm. I think that when in the startup world, especially like in the Silicon Valley startup, move fast and break things culture, everybody seems like an overnight success and they launch something in 30 days and it goes viral and now they're a unicorn, right? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's not what happens. Like, first of all, some of those companies, you don't know that they've been working in their garage for five years before that happens. Mm -hmm. It's like a mythology around startups that I think does a disservice to all of us who have an idea and can take lots of different paths there. Um, Yeah, there's probably a few things that like go viral, but that's generally not what happens. Usually it's, you know, you put the hard work in and you figure it out and you, you know, you get there or you don't. So um, whatever the path is, it is, you know, for us, we took our time. We're very deliberate. I had financial responsibilities that prevented me from being all in for a while and just, you know, unfolded over a couple of years. Mm -hmm. I think we only hear about those overnight successes because, of course, like those news websites want to write the most clickbaity headlines. So they're going to focus mainly on the overnight successes, even though that's not really an accurate representation of what the journey actually is like for most people. So then I have two small questions. So first, I was wondering how you met your co-founder or decided to start working with them. Because I feel like a lot of people, including me, really benefit from having someone to bounce ideas off of and just to work together with and share the workload. But how do you find someone and make sure that your vision really matches their vision and that you can successfully work together on a project as big as this? Uh, That is such a wonderful and important question, I think, for anyone who's going into partnership. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and and it's interesting that you're asking me now because we are no longer partners. So I can tell you a little bit of like the whole arc of the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so he was a fa- he is a family friend and we were on the board of a nonprofit together. So I, I know him because our kids went to school together and our daughters are very close friends. So it's really nice. Like we met cute, right? We met through our daughters and our families are friends. Um, but then we had a chance to actually work together as colleagues in, in a work environment because we were on the board of this of this local nonprofit. And for some reason or another, I had not told anybody about this idea that I had, but I told him. You know, we were working on this project together, and there was something about what we were talking about where my idea just seemed relevant. And I, I kind of blurted it out, <laughs> not even like planning to share it. And he loved the idea. He got super enthusiastic. And I was like, oh, really? You like it? And it just felt, because I hadn't even 
dared to tell anybody yet. So it felt so amazing to have that validation when everything felt so like fragile. Mm-hmm. Um, and then every time we got together to work on the project for this nonprofit, all we wanted to do was talk about what was to become Daily Aloha. So over time, we spent so many hours talking about it. It was like I asked him out. I'm like, do you want to be my co-founder? <laughs> yeah. The proposal. And it he was said pro- yes. <laughs> it was exactly like that. It was exactly. Um, so then we did something really smart. Like we knew we liked each other. We knew that we shared the enthusiasm and the vision for this product to your, you know, we had talked about it enough to know that we had some pretty common vision, which is really important in a startup. Um, But I got some advice from a startup lawyer about, you know, bringing on a partner. It's a very big deal, right? Because it's like a marriage. You've got financial entanglements, you're, you know, all of it. And a startup is like a child, You know, you're raising this child together. Um, So she sent me a list of questions to have a discussion with Greg um, that started to get at like, well, how long can you afford to work? Like a lot of really good questions. And it's kind of to just continue the marriage metaphor. When you do a founder's agreement, a partner agreement, it is kind of like a prenup, a prenuptial agreement because you have to anticipate what would happen if you go your separate ways because, you know, you have a financial relationship. So we did our homework, you know, we, we, we did all the financial stuff, but we also, we kind of asked each other the deeper questions, like to make sure we were on the same page emotionally, you know, and otherwise about this project. So I'm kind of proud of us in hindsight that we were slow and deliberate and thoughtful about entering into what's a really important relationship. So fast forward, you know, we worked together. He never quit his job. So I had gone all in. He was still consulting part-time. And that was sort of hard to have a little bit of a mismatch in, um, commitment Mm -hmm. to it but we still did really beautiful work together launched the product celebrated together licked our wounds together and there's plenty of those too and then just this past July he told me he was accepting a job offer for a full-time job that took him across the country Mm. so you know now with COVID the location really matters, not in the slightest, but what matters is that he, re- he no longer had time, you know, to, to work on it. And it, it felt crushing, just to be honest. It was devastating because we had gone so far together and I, like you, I really love having like someone to hash ideas with and um, I just felt like a lot of attachment to our partnership. So we've been working on separating and what that looks like. And he still loves Daily Aloha and he's going to stay on board as an advisor. But I've really had to come to terms with, you know, the, the unraveling of a partnership that felt so wonderful for so long. So he's still a friend. He's still an advisor. But I do feel the loss of that. Um, but I'm also proud of us for kind of laying the groundwork from the beginning so that when this happened, we were sort of equipped to deal with it professionally and personally and come out with a pretty good outcome where we're still like really good friends. 
Mm -hmm. I really like the marriage metaphor because there's definitely so many parallels. And then the second question was just like hearing you talk about all the businessy parts of it, like raising funds or having advisors or bringing on people to help you. Um, I love watching the show Shark Tank, but sometimes it's confusing because I hear vocabulary terms that I do not understand. And so I need to be looking stuff up as I'm watching them make these deals. So I guess to someone who is really just starting out and is interested in starting a business, where would be the absolute first place to start if you just want to understand how business works, basically? That's a great question, too. I mean, I think for myself, I had a really strong like business vocabulary. And, you know, I came in after years in business where I already had been exposed to like all the different what they call like functional areas in a business, like sales and marketing, operations, finance. Mm-hmm. Like, so I was really grounded in all of that stuff, which is really helpful. But it really is like a whole nother world, the startup world, right? You're talking about investors and capital and founding documents, like incorporating or becoming a business entity. And I knew nothing about any of that stuff. So I want everyone to know that it is all figure outable, yes. right? <laughs> um, which is just important to know. Like it, certainly it helps to have advisors. That could be your mother. It could be anybody. But there are a lot of good resources out there. Startup culture is pretty popular now. Um, there's, a, there's a number of like startup schools. Um, I think one of them is called like founder school even. It's been so long now, I'm probably not gonna come up with the exact right names, but there are, like, here's here's some terminology that might be helpful. There's something called an incubator and something called an accelerator. So an incubator is a place, it's an entity where people go to incubate their ideas. They, they come with a business idea and they work on it there and they have access to mentors and resources to help make their business, their idea, a reality. And then there's accelerators where you you go to accelerate your project. Normally you already have a product and you wanna see it like grow to the next level. So these incubators and accelerators are great. They're hard to get into, by the way. I'm not, I, I have applied to several and been rejected. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you have to have like a stomach for rejection. But they also, these incubators and accelerators, put out a lot of resources for founders. So I'm mentioning them because even if it's way ahead in your future, they, um, they're like very rich in terms of documents and articles and blogs about how to get started. And I think one of them is like the is founder school. And the most famous accelerator is called Y Combinator. And you might have heard of it. It's in California. It's like the I think it's the most famous one and it has tons of resources. So you don't even have to be in the accelerator or apply to it. They have something called Startup School, um, but they also just on their website have a ton of resources. So that's a really great place to turn. That's awesome. I feel like the title of this episode is going to be It's All Figure Outable because I just think it's so cool how many resources are out there and even free resources. 
I recently subscribed to this business magazine and there's definitely so much lingo that you were expected to know beforehand. So I was running into all of these acronyms that I just did not understand. So I was super excited to hear you talk about the difference between an incubator and an accelerator because I thought they were the same thing up until now. So I just think it's also exciting and there's definitely so much that people can learn if they just look for the resources. Um, so I want to actually move on to talking about the importance of connection. So when I posted on Instagram asking for questions for this episode, someone actually asked, why aren't we able to talk to other people on the app? So there are actually some interactive features. So for example, when you send a daily aloha, you receive someone else's and then you can react to it from a list of pre-written responses. And so in my view, connecting individually isn't really the point of the app. So I was wondering, like, was the app intentionally designed to limit certain kinds of interaction and to make it less addicting than certain other kinds of social media apps? Yes, yes, yes. And yeah, I've got yes answers. (laughs) Um, So there's so many ways to answer this. What I would say is we, I was very literal in terms of, translating these participatory art projects into an app. Because what I felt in those moments, like looking at the chalkboards, looking at the sticky note walls, looking at Humans of New York, right, is that there's something really connecting in participating in this shared experience among anonymous strangers and never talking to them. So what what these projects have in common is that you're, you're united in reflection on a theme or a question, you know, asynchronously, not even at the same time. You could have walked by yesterday and I walked by today, right? But we have this thing in common. We were drawn by something that we wanted to reflect on and respond to. Mm-hmm. And then we had the opportunity to connect our own reflection and thought with those of all these other anonymous strangers. And I felt that even though I wasn't communicating or even knew who those other people were, I felt a sense of connection. And I felt it because I took a moment to get to know myself a little better and then enriched my own reflection with the thoughts of these other folks. Now, it's a really obvious question for our app. Why not take it a step further and let people actually communicate with one another? And I do get that question a lot. There are certain participants in our app that have asked me for that. And what I generally say is not now, maybe later. Um, It's not who we are right now. So here's another way to to sort of describe my, my feelings about that. So when you think about connection and belonging, right, and you think about those things as the solution for loneliness and disconnection, right? We, like, we're wired as humans to connect. Feeling like we belong is as important to us and as nourishing to us as food and shelter. Like we, we need it. Um, and the way we feel connected comes in all these different layers. You know, at the, at the very, what I call kind of the, the top of the stack is our most intimate relationships. Right? It's the people that you trust, that you're, you're most vulnerable with. They might be a family member, a partner, right? people that are really in your inner circle. 
And then you have this next layer of like social. These are your friends. These are people that you have experiences with, you have fun with, right? You have common, you know, common interests. You do things together. That's sort of your broad like social network. And then the next layer I call community, right? So this is people that you may or may not know, but you are united in either shared purpose or some kind of affiliation to one another. So one community might be the people in your town. Another community might be the students in your school. Another community might be your colleagues in the workplace. Another community might be a club that you're in. So there's something that binds you together, but you know they're not necessarily your friends, although they might be your friends. And then, then there's this like other layer that I call the collective, which is kind of feeling part of the human condition. You know, some might call that like a spiritual connection. It's sort of a recognition that we're all connected and we're all human. Um, some might just feel it's that sense of, you know, deep belonging to the world. Like I'm at home in my skin and I'm at home in the world. And then the last layer is the big foundational layer of connection to yourself. There's a great quote by Brene Brown, which I'm going to butcher, but it's like, you know, your, your feeling of belonging can never be greater than your belonging to yourself. Right? Because if you don't know who you are, and if you're not showing up in the world in your full authenticity and vulnerability, how connected can you really be? Right? So there's all these different layers. And for every person, the layers are different. Like in the same way that you might exercise by taking a run, and I might do yoga, and someone else might do Pilates or swim right? We, that's our, you know, the nourishment of our bodies. The nourishment of our connection is different for all of us too. Like you might just live and die from your friend group. And for me, it might be, I'm just better with like a fewer intimate relationships. So that stack of connection is really different for everyone. So my app operates at the, at this low, the lower level of me and the collective and community. Right, So the, the app is intended to make you feel more connected to yourself, make you feel, have a, have a feeling of connectedness to the world and belonging to the world, and also feel part of the daily Aloha community, which is a group of people that are positive and supportive of one another. So that's where I'm operating. But at the intimate and friend level, you absolutely need dialogue. You absolutely need to talk to each other. You absolutely need to have a more regular cadence to your conversation, right? Into your shared experiences. So we just operate in this different zone. Now, that's not to say that people's experience with our app might not be enriched by going deeper with people that they might find on the app. Um, but I do know that for a lot of our users, it would actually ruin the experience that what they appreciate about being on our app is the freedom from dialogue, mm -hmm. the not having to chat, just that it's basically for them a, a daily mindfulness routine that has the added benefit of a little bit of interactivity, 
but it's really more about personal reflection, a mindful moment that also feels connective, but it's not where they're looking to make relationships or dive deeper into conversation. So maybe it's in our future in some small way, but I also know that for many, the simplicity and ease and safety of the daily five minute experience would be you know, denigrated by mm-hmm. kind of encumbering it with this other layer. Personally, I love that aspect of the app. Like, I love that I can just go on there, say what I have to say, and I know that I won't have to, like, explain myself in more detail, and I can just see what other people have to say, and, like, that's it. I think a buzzword these days is minimalism, and I think that definitely applies to this situation. I think the value of the app is in what's missing from the app, because not every app should do everything. I remember reading, I think it was Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport, where he talked about The problem with social media platforms is that they claim or promise that you can do everything on there. And I think they're trying to work on all of those layers. Like you can keep in touch with close family. You can um, see what your friends from college are doing. You can find uh, new communities all around the world. Like we are going to do everything. Just sign up for this app and your social life will be great. But I think that really dilutes the purpose of the app. I've been seeing people frustrated with Instagram these days, for example. I remember getting an Instagram account in middle school and it was really so simple. Like it was just sharing craft projects with my classmates, that was it. And then it has grown and grown so much and recently people have been upset that they added a shopping feature and put that right where your thumb is very likely to click it. And so I think these platforms are just becoming so bloated with features and I think that Daily Haloha is actively working against that. And so my personal opinion is that it's best when it remains simple, but I think it'll be cool to see where it goes in the future. I wanted to ask, um, I think especially in this time, staying connected with people in this way is so, so important. So what advice do you have for how people can deal with loneliness during COVID? And, And I guess specifically, what do you think doesn't work and what does work? Because I think a lot of times when we're feeling lonely, there are a lot of things that we turn to, but they don't necessarily actually work or they make the loneliness worse or they're unhealthy habits. So what is your advice on how we can feel more connected in a healthy way? Oh yeah, this COVID thing, I'm over it. I don't know about you, but (laughs) yeah. Um, Yeah, it's been really challenging for a lot of people. I, I think it's kind of helpful to, talk for a second about what loneliness is, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of misperceptions about loneliness um, and kind of confusing it with being alone. I think um, probably a lot of listeners and certainly myself can relate to the idea that you can feel lonely in a crowd, right? So you can be alone and have beautiful, nourishing solitude and not feel lonely at all. And conversely, you can be with a lot of people and feel deeply lonely, mm-hmm. right? So loneliness and solitude are not this, I mean, aloneness are not the same thing. In fact, we need solitude. Solitude is really nourishing. Um, so what loneliness actually is, is that feeling that there's a gap between the quality of the relationships that you want and the quality of the relationships that you have. Mm. That's really what loneliness is. And... One thing I like to share, because I think it's sort of helpful to think about, 
is drawing the analogy between loneliness and hunger because there can be a little shame that goes with saying you feel lonely, right? I mean, some people feel reluctant to use that word to describe their feelings because they feel like it it feels like they're saying they're not likable mm-hmm. or they're not lovable. There's just like there's a little bit of baggage with that word, but there shouldn't be. Um, so if you think about loneliness being a signal, the way hunger is a signal, right? Hunger is like, oh, my body's telling me that I need nourishment, I need calories, I need fuel because I need energy. That's like a very helpful physical signal that you need to eat. Loneliness is also a signal. You know, it's a feeling that's like, oh, I'm not feeling connected. Um, you know, we evol- from an evolutionary standpoint, we need to feel connected. We need to feel like we belong. Otherwise, there's danger. I'm not protected if a wild animal comes, right? Like, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a signal in our biology that says that there's something missing in our connections, just the way hunger is. So maybe that's helpful to folks. Um, and I guess the other thing I'll just throw out as far as just background on loneliness, there's been a lot of research on loneliness lately, and um, it's been creeping up and up and up, even pre-COVID. There's a lot of reasons for that, but it's not like all of a sudden with COVID, we're lonely. It's been something that, that's been a societal problem. In fact, um, it might have been last year or even the year before that in the UK, there's now a minister of loneliness. Like it's really deemed a public health problem because not only is it pervasive, but it's also linked to a lot of mental, physical, and emotional harms, right? It's, I think it was determined to be worse for you than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. Right. It's a real thing. Um, and I think the most recent research is that like in the 60, I think in the 60% somewhere of people in the United States report feeling sometimes or even often lonely. So if anyone listening feels lonely from time to time, just please know that you're not alone and it's not your fault. And it has to do with so many things that are out of all of our control. So I hope that makes everyone feel just a little bit more at ease with even you know recognizing the feeling and talking about it. So to your question, what do we do about it? That's a whole nother thing, right? Um, so, you know, maybe it's helpful to like think about those layers of connection that I mentioned, like intimate, social, community, collective, and self. Like for everyone, the answer lies in different combinations of those factors. I would say like for me personally, I get the most sense of connection from intimate and community. I love my friends, but that's just not what's most important to me. And self, by the way, which we all need to focus on. Um, You know, I feel connected when I am in conversation with people that care about what I care about. So that for me, that's community. Like that matters the most to me in having a small number of very deep relationships. Like that's how I, that for me, that's my social wellness recipe. (laughs) Um, But it's a little different for everyone. So I I think, you know, think about it. Think about what, like, think about what are the circumstances when you feel great and connected and like kind of, you know, yeah, sometimes you have that feeling of being just at home in the world, right? So what's happening when you feel that way? You could be alone and feel that way, which is beautiful. Maybe it's solitude. Maybe it's reflection. Or maybe it's when you're with your best friends and you're, you know, laughing your, your butts off. Like whatever it is, it is. 
And then if you're feeling lonely, it's telling you that you need more of whatever that thing is. You know, I think that social media has become a little bit of a crutch. So, so here we are in COVID, right? We can't do what we used to do. You know, we can't go to the movies. We can't do so many things that might've been where we, we can't go to meetings in person. Um, so technology has become both our lifeline and our anchor, right? So I think what's important thinking about technology in the overall picture of loneliness and specifically like this, these feelings during COVID is to have a lot of intentionality when it comes to, I guess I'm going to go back to another food thing, your media diet, your digital diet, right? So in the same way that you don't like sit down and just graze all day because you feel, you feel yucky. It's like, you've got your meals, you kind of know, you know, you plan them out and they're meant to be nutritious and delicious. Like you, you, you approach eating with intentionality. You should approach your interaction on tech with intentionality. I mean, look, I'm guilty too. I will be on Instagram and be like, oh my God, I just lost half an hour of my life. What the heck was I doing, right? So it's all about coming to your technology and especially social media with intention. Like, what are you trying to do? How long am I going to do this for? And then also just noticing how you feel afterwards. Do I feel better? Do I feel emptier? Do I feel more alone? Do I feel more connected? So observing yourself and how you feel and just noticing. Notice in the moment and afterwards, what did that do, you know, what did that actually do for me? And um Another thing I'll throw out is that Facebook did a bunch of research last year about social media use and mental health. And they had a, the answer is it depends, right? And a lot of it, it, in terms of whether social media use makes you more emotionally and like, does it improve your emotional and mental well being or does it take away? The answer is it depends. And one of the things it's, it depends on is how you use social media. And wait, what Facebook found is that if you're just scrolling and not contributing, mm. it's way more harmful to your mental health than if you're posting, you know, if, you're, it's, if it's a little bit more interactive, you're creating and consuming. So I think we all know the term doom scrolling now, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's just like this empty scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. That is the worst thing we could be doing. I definitely notice that when I'm participating in social media for my blog, it's a completely different experience to when I'm just like tapping on Instagram because I'm bored and I want to scroll. Like it's a completely different experience to actually create something and put it out there rather than just mindlessly consuming. Um, And yeah, I think I've seen that study as well. I believe it was mentioned again in Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. So that book is just so applicable to this entire conversation that we've been having. Um, I remember reading somewhere else, I think it was a book about happiness and why people in Denmark are happy, but they talked about a survey where they were trying to rate people's level of happiness and to survey how happy people were, the main question that contributed to that was just how satisfied are you with your relationships? And just that one question pretty much determined how happy people were, like they barely had to ask anything else because 
everything depended so strongly on their response to that one question, which I thought was so interesting. And I also really like that comparison of loneliness being like hunger because hunger feels like more of a physical experience and loneliness feels like more of a mental experience. But I think everyone is becoming more and more aware of how linked those are. And that's really helped me to be more understanding with myself because I always tend to be kinder to myself regarding like physical issues, like being physically tired or physically hungry, like that makes sense to me. But then if I'm feeling lonely or more mentally tired, then sometimes I blame myself, you know, and I feel like I'm doing something wrong. So I just think it's important to recognize how intricately linked our mental and physical states are and be as kind to ourselves on the mental level as we are on the physical. So finally, I wanted to finish out with a lightning round with a couple of quick questions. So the first question is, what has been your most important or helpful habit lately? Okay, I have a new one. So I'm so excited that you're asking me this question because I just got this one and I'm kind of loving it. So, um, and by the way, I'm at risk of digital burnout all the time. So like, I'm really taking this stuff to heart, especially having a tech product. Um, you know, I'm online, I'm on screens a lot. Mm -hmm. So I have to be really disciplined about also listening to my body, but listening to my mind and my heart and being kind and taking the space and time I need. So, um, I've developed this habit now when I'm feeling a little digital burnout. Mm -hmm. um, so here's what it is. It's called 54321. And it's meant to get you reconnected to your body and your senses, which is a great way of connecting with being present. Okay, so you, you just take a minute, take a pause, and you note five things you see in your environment. Okay, so you do that. And then four is four things you hear. And sometimes you really have to strain because you might like it might be something very subtle like the hum of your in your house of the refrigerator or whatever it is, okay? Three is touch. Three things where you have a physical sensation. You know, it could be your butt in the chair, your clothes, your headphones, your cat in your lap, your whatever it is. Two gets a little harder, it's smell. Two things you smell, you can sort of detect in the air. And one is taste. So you go through five, four, three, two, one, see, hear, touch, smell, taste, and it connects you to your senses, to your environment. It doesn't take long, but it's pretty beautiful. I love that idea. It's like meditation, like a lot of guided meditations that I've done. A lot of times meditation to me feels too open-ended, like, I'm just supposed to sit here for 10 minutes? What am I supposed to do during that time? And so I really like meditations that kind of have prompts to guide me. How about, what is a book that you would recommend to our listeners? I must admit, I have had trouble reading books lately. I think it's a sign of the times and just um, feeling a little overloaded. Mm -hmm. I used to always love reading novels um, and now also because of my work, I read a lot of um, nonfiction. Um, but what I found lately is I've been reading a lot of poetry and essays. And I think it's just because I can read great, beautiful content in smaller doses. Mm -hmm. So I just traveled and I was looking for a book to bring. And I went back to an old book that I loved and it was essays. 
And it was just perfect for where I am right now. And it's called Dear Mr. You. And it's by Mary Louise Parker, who is an actress. You might know her. She was in Weeds, and she's been in a lot of other things. Um, So she's known to be an actress, but she wrote this book. And it's just a series of essays that... um, are about her life and relationship experiences. And there's just something about it that I love. So, dear Mr. You. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. And then to finish out, what is a favorite quote of yours? This is a really hard one. I love quotes. In fact, I post one most days in the app that relates to the question of the day. Mm-hmm. Um But the one that I come back to the most is one of many beautiful quotes from Maya Angelou. And the one that I try to live my life by is, I'm not going to get it quite right, but you know, people won't remember what you say or remember what you did. They're going to remember how you made them feel. Mm. And um, that's, that's the one that I could read every single day and feel you know, uplifted and guided by that. Mm, that's a beautiful quote. So where can our listeners find you online? Sadly, everywhere and anywhere. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, I am at Daily Haloha everywhere. So our website is dailyhaloha.com. Our Instagram is Daily Haloha at Daily Haloha, Twitter at Daily Haloha, Facebook at Daily Haloha. So Haloha is H-A-L-O-H-A, and you can find us everywhere. Um, also on the app stores if you haven't tried it yet, or you can find your way to the app stores right through our website. It's right on the, on the front page. And I'll just add for your listeners that um, we're a small, scrappy team. So if you write any comments in the app, on the website, on Instagram, anywhere, you'll get an answer from me. I answer everything personally and everything within a day. Um, I love to stay connected to my community. So I welcome your community to be a part of my community. And then Um, everywhere you find us, you also find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was great talking to you. You as well. So three takeaways from today's episode. First of all, you do not have to know everything about a certain field in order to start a project in that field. There's so much that you can learn along the way. So for example, I knew very little about how to run a YouTube channel or just anything about blogging when I started, but you really do figure it out along the way. And there's so much that you can learn online these days, um, even for free. So some of the resources that Amy mentioned, I linked in the show notes if you are interested in those. Second, don't worry too much about whether you are on the right path or whether you are making the right career decision because at every point in your life, the quote-unquote right path will be different based on what it is that you are looking for from your career at that point in your life. So are you looking for something that will provide you with more financial stability? Are you looking for a a higher up position in your career, whatever that may be? Are you looking for something that'll provide you with more free time? And remember that there are a lot of different skills that once you pick up, they apply to pretty much any field that you will move into. And finally, when it comes to loneliness and social media use, 
You have to judge not only how much social media are you using, how much media you're consuming, but also the quality of your social media use and the quality of that media. So for example, with Instagram, it is so much more fulfilling to create stuff and put it out there and then engage with people rather than just passively scrolling. For today's action of the day, figure out your social wellness recipe. So Amy talked about the different layers of social interactions that we have. And she also said that for each of us, the the layers that we get the most satisfaction or fulfillment from will be different so in her example she gets the most satisfaction from her community and her most intimate relationships and not so much from the friends layer so think about what social activities leave you feeling the best and do the best job at alleviating your loneliness and which activities don't do such a great job for today's recommendation, I recently, like just this morning recently, downloaded this new podcast app called Air, A-I-R-R. And so this app allows you to listen to any podcast that you already listen to on any platforms. But then what you can do is as you're listening and you hear something that you want to save, it makes it very easy to just like tap and hold and record a quote and then write down a caption along with that recording. So I've only taken two quotes so far, but I really like it because previously I had no system for recording anything that stood out to me in podcasts. So I think this will very much improve my podcast listening and maybe it'll improve your experience listening to my podcast. The last segment is what is going on at the Bliss Bean, but not much is going on at the Bliss Bean, which is completely on purpose because I have decided to take a break in December. So no videos, no newsletters. There will still be podcasts. Um, there will probably be some Instagram stories, maybe some Instagram posts, but otherwise I am taking it very easy, very chill. I spent today reorganizing a bunch of stuff and I'm very excited for the behind the scenes stuff that I'll be able to work on this month and just have everything run more smoothly and so that I can come back in a much stronger way in 2021. Thank you so much for your continued support and for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your family and friends and leave a review on iTunes. You can learn more about The Bliss Bean and connect with me on YouTube and Instagram at The Bliss Bean and TheBlissBean.com. If you'd like to sign up to receive the show notes in your inbox every Wednesday morning, that's TheBlissBean.com slash podcast. If you have a listener question, comment, or suggestion, you can send a voice memo to hello at TheBlissBean.com. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week.